0: So this week as uh, we were moving, we were, at least I was humbled by the number of people that uh, showed up to help unload, unload our moving truck. And I began to think a little bit about the uh, concept and the idea of a servant within the church or, or the idea of servitude. And it's such a big word and an encompassing word really for us as Christians. And so I want to go back and spend a little bit of time talking about servitude Uh, and the many aspects of that. I think there are a lot of people today who will claim to be servants of God or servants of Christ, and I don't know if many of them have really gone back and looked at what all is included within that word itself. We know that when we go back and look at the teachings of Jesus and even the apostles, we see that they had uh, taught the idea of servitude throughout their ministry uh, and throughout the early church. Listen to Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, as we go back and look here at the Hebrews writer, he clearly teaches that we are to serve the living God. Now, that's our primary uh, and main focus. But then you begin to break it down even on a a smaller level, and you can look at the idea of uh, Paul and the other apostles. Paul lived the life of a servant, and he suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. He suffered greatly for his own brethren. He suffered greatly in general regarding his faith. In Galatians 5.13, he said, "...for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh but by love serve one another. We see the concept of serving God. We see the concept of serving one another. Paul literally calls out and says that we as Christians, uh, we should be serving each other. And then you wonder, why does the church not grow the same today as it did within the first century? I'm not sure if, if the church really acts the same as it did within the first century. I'm sure there are many congregations which do, but imagine if... 100% of the people who claim to be Christians actually served God and actually served their brothers and sisters in Christ. Imagine the difference in our world. Listen to James 1.1. He wrote, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. seems to me when I talk to people quite often about being a Christian or regarding the faith, you've got many who will say, they are servants of God James says I'm both a servant of God and a servant of Christ now that would be important to those who were maybe at that time servants of God who were Jews but not servants of Christ James says I'm both and he's not ashamed to admit it to to everyone now here's what's interesting as you begin to talk about the concept of servitude you need to go back and really begin to break down the idea of the word servant because there's so much included within that Now, in James 1.1, the verse we just looked at where James says he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word there is doulos. Very interesting word because that word actually means a bond slave or a purchased servant. Now, this could actually refer to somebody who was a voluntary slave or servant or an involuntary slave or a servant. And one could actually transfer from an involuntary servant to a voluntary servant, and I'll touch on that here in just a little bit. But he uses the word here as a bond slave. And really as Christians, that's how we ought to think of ourselves. We should think of ourselves as purchased slaves or blood-bought servants, not only in our service to God, but also in service to our own brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul actually says this uh, regarding the elders in Acts 20, 28. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over, the, over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Now here's why we would consider ourselves bond servants or bond slaves, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And I think a lot of people will use that term servant and they'll throw it around very lightly. They say it. But I wonder if they really actually get it. And what I mean by this is, is imagine if every time you went to the store and you bought something, whether it was salad or crackers or whatever, you literally had to pay with blood. It'd be a big deal to buy something, wouldn't it? Well, a lot of people love to talk about the fact that they're servants, but I don't really think they understand that they were bought with blood. 1 Corinthians 7.23, "...Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men." pretty heavy price for our salvation to be paid with blood. And yet you'll have many people who will claim to be servants, and yet they won't they won't obey or adhere to the one who, who purchased them with his own blood. Clearly, we're talking about being servants to Christ and not to men or not to men's doctrines. Now, there are an awful lot of implications when we begin to break down this word servant, the idea of servitude within the church. So we'll spend just a little bit of time on this, but... If you really can't understand the concept of being a servant, you're going to struggle in being a faithful follower of God and Christ. Let me just point out just a few of the implications of the word servant. Inherent in that idea is of obedience. You'll also find inherent in the idea of one who is humble or has humility, and then you will find also that they are loyal. All of those are key attributes for one to be a faithful servant. Let's, let's start off talking for a second about obedience. If one is going to be a faithful, worthy servant, they have to be obedient. The one who is a servant is expected to have absolute obedience to their master. Now again, we're talking about our relationship with Christ. But the word that we had used up there in James 1.1 was the idea of a bond slave or a bond servant. A bond servant was useful in the fact that they were expected to obey their master in every single thing. Otherwise, they were described as an unprofitable servant. And, and I'm sure if you know much about those who are servants, or even today, you have people who will claim to be servants of somebody or an employee of somebody. There are those that are profitable, and there are those that are unprofitable. To be profitable, there has to be absolute obedience Now, let me say this, though, as we begin to touch on this, because the idea of serving Jesus unquestionably by obeying the New Testament is really a far cry from being uh, accepted by the masses today. And I say that by saying there are an awful lot of people who claim to be followers of Christ, and yet they do not obey uh, without question. I'll go back to a recent article I just saw last week. Uh, Actually, I, I hadn't seen that somebody came to my office at work and told me I guess it would be a week and a half ago, where uh, Pope Francis attempted to reconcile church teaching with blessings for same-sex couples. I don't know how many of you guys have read that. Uh, it was on the main, one of the uh, the front page of one of the main news networks. So let me say that again. He he's talking about blessings for same-sex couples. That's not poor scholarship of the Bible. That's not lack of understanding of what the Bible teaches. That is somebody who is trying to please culture. That's somebody who's not trying to please their master. That's someone who's trying to please culture around them. And yes, we are to love everybody, but to suggest blessings for things that people are involved in, which the Bible calls sin, is, is completely... It's, it's not logical and it's not in alignment. To condone sin is to show that you're not a profitable servant, and I won't go any further than that, but we understand, I think, logically, if you're going to claim to be a servant, you can't condone that which the master says is not okay, and yet we see that all the time around us, and somebody came in and said, what are your thoughts on that? And I'm like, it's completely illogical, and yet many people will claim to be servants of Christ, servants of God, and yet they will... They will accept or condone or tolerate or even participate in those things which the Bible itself condemns. It would make them an unprofitable servant. Now Jesus says the unprofitable servant's going to be cast into outer darkness. Not a good place because He says there in Matthew 25, 30 that it is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so when you begin to break down the idea of a servant, you could be a profitable servant or you can be an unprofitable servant, but the destination of two is as far apart... As extremes can be, one is a horrible place, and the other one is an amazing place. Jesus was the example of the ultimate servant. Matthew twenty six thirty nine, and he went a little further, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, "Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou will." Jesus knew what was looking uh, ahead of him. He knew what he was going to go through, and he didn't want to do that but that's the attitude of a true servant where it's it's not what I want but what is my master's will the law of the master is the only law that the slave knows and because we're servants of God we're to have absolute obedience to his will as has been recorded in the New Testament that's what makes us profitable servants again bond servants bond slaves we're slaves to our master according to what it is he wants not according to what we want in any regard Now, let me say this, because many people struggle with the concept of the standard by which our master has given us. Can you imagine for just a second being a servant and yet not knowing what it is that your master wanted or requires of you? You'd be pretty confused, and yet that is not an uncommon thought process today. You have many people who who will say things like, The Bible is nothing more than a love letter. Right? Or the, the Bible is good teaching, but it's not something that you know, really needs to be followed as a guide for Christian worship or life. It's only when we've obeyed the will of our Master and continue to do so that we can actually be considered bondservants of Christ. There has to be a standard. And again, you go back to Luke 6.46, Jesus said, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say let me ask you a logical question because there's a lot of people say Jesus didn't expect us to follow this you know just absolutely he just he didn't expect that let me ask a logical question if Jesus didn't expect us to be obedient to his word why did he even go around and teach in the first place why did he waste his time going around and teaching if he didn't expect us to follow his teaching i think logically we get it You consider the many people who do not today obey the commandments that are given within our scriptures. And those people, simply by definition, are not considered faithful followers or servants of Christ. And that may come across as harsh, but that's the definition. If you're a servant of someone, you obey your master. And Christ is our master. So again, for those people that say, well, you know, this isn't meant to be something you really got to follow Jesus didn't really mean for us to to follow it by the word then why did he teach in the first place to be a servant requires complete obedience those who are not obedient are those that hear but will not do and we're surrounded by many who are like that James talks about people like this and James says a person who is like this that hears but will not do their religion is vain Let's go to James 1. We'll look at verses 20 through 26. James 1, starting in verse 22. He says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, or in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. James begins to break this down in a very logical way, I think in alignment with what we've already said, but He basically says, if you claim to be a Christian, but you're not obeying the commands within the Scripture, if you're not being a doer of the Word, he says, your religion, it's vain. He says it's worthless. It yields nothing. It's without purpose. It's without profit. In essence, you're going through the motions, but you're not going to accomplish anything. And because of that logical stance, James begins to show us there's two types of servants. There's a profitable servant, and there's an unprofitable servant. Now, we've already touched on that. But the determination is going to be made who will follow the master's will. That's the dividing line. We have to say this, and it's a passage that most of you are very, very familiar with. Yes, we claim to be servants, and there's two types of servants. There's profitable, there's unprofitable. The dividing line is going to be seen in John twelve forty eight. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You can claim to be a servant, but if you want to know the dividing line on which type of servant you're going to be, whether it's profitable or unprofitable, you've got to go back and realize that you're going to be judged according to the word. And I think that's in alignment with everything we've looked at so far. So we start off by realizing we have to have absolute obedience. Now for that to take place, you've really got to have the correct mindset. And the mindset is the mindset of humility. Somebody who is willing and desirous of being a profitable servant is going to be a person who is humble, right, completely humble. It's a person who does not exalt himself because he realizes that he is a bondservant. He's a bond slave. He has a master. And so he exalts the master, and he exalts the master's will. He doesn't put his will in front of that. And that can be hard even for those of us who want to be faithful followers of Christ because we even sometimes ourselves will battle with this is what I want as opposed to what my master says I should do. Let me give you an example and I can remember this example being used when I was in school and it was a very, matter of fact, it was, a, it was actually a farm example. Um, the teacher said, you know, if, if you had, he, he went up to the chalkboard and he had a picture of a barn and he said, if you were told to build a a fence on the right side of the barn and he said put a put a well on the south side of the barn or whatever and he said and your father or the owner of the property came back and the fence was on the left side of the barn it was a nice fence but it was on the wrong side and you didn't put the well on the south side but you put it on the north side would you be considered faithful and, and obviously we get the answer is no because the one who told us what to do is the one who directs it and we can't change that in any way okay It'd be the equivalent of sending someone in, your master sending you in saying buy five, five bushel of grain and you either bought four or six. For whatever reason you thought four or six was better. Does that make you a profitable servant? No. Because you didn't do exactly what you were told to do. And there's no humility in that. That's placing yourself above the master. You have to, you have to consider yourself not just a follower of Christ, but a servant, a bond servant even the stronger word of a slave on Christ's behalf. That means that you have one who is reigning as master. You acknowledge that, and therefore you show humility by not having it your way, by doing it the master's way. And that's required of anybody who will be a steward of God. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 9, Paul writes, "...for I am the least of the apostles." that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. If we went back and tried to compare the apostles and the amount of work that they did, we may find that Paul actually worked harder than any of them. And I think he gives possibly the reason why here. He really didn't even feel desirous or or, or didn't feel really that he should have uh, been an apostle or be called an apostle because of what he had done as far as persecuting the church. But he goes on and he says but by the grace of God I am. And he probably worked harder than maybe any of them. But he didn't use that as an example to exalt himself. Paul kept himself within the understanding that he's just a servant. Really a slave on behalf of of Christ, just as the other Apostles. And Paul realized this, if we want to be servants of Christ, we have to begin to separate ourselves from the world. Now, we can't leave the world, I understand that. But notice what Paul says in Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an Apostle, here's the key part, separated unto The gospel of God. That word separate. That is a key word for somebody who wants to be a servant. I find it very interesting when you go back and you look at the word ekklesia, the called out ones, right? The the word for church in Greek. The ekklesia, the called out ones, the separated ones, the set apart ones. Paul says, I've been set apart under the gospel of God. That takes an awful lot of Humility for one to realize they're not in the driving seat. They are are the servant on behalf of God, separated unto the gospel. Paul mentioned he was a persecutor of the church. And you go back and you look at Paul's background being an up-and-comer among the Pharisees, trained by the best of the best, zealous, literally with a good conscience, tracking and chasing down those within the church because he thought they were blasphemous. And he could have been somebody amongst the Jews, and yet he gives up all of that to be set apart for the gospel of God. What will humility make us give up? I don't know. Improper relationships, improper religion, improper jobs, improper understanding. Paul realized the route that he was on, although zealous and being somebody within Judaism, it was all for nothing. And so he was set apart for the gospel. The way that we are set apart is going to vary for each one of us. Certainly we're set apart on God's behalf, but what do we have to give up to be set apart? That's going to vary for each of us. It could be money. It could be jobs. It could be a number of things that we have to set ourselves apart from. And all of that takes humility. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. None of that other stuff even mattered to Paul anymore because he realized he was a servant. He was, he was a slave for the, cra- for, the, for the cause of Christ. And so, with that understanding, none of the other stuff even mattered. Matter of fact, listen to Titus 1.1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. He didn't understand that truth when he was a Pharisee. He didn't understand that truth when he was chasing down the church and persecuting the church. But he got to a point where he did understand it, where he did acknowledge the truth. And again, that's why I said for every one of us, what we have to set ourselves apart from is going to be different because it's based on the truth. And for many of us, there are certain aspects where we struggle with, where we do not understand or where we have not applied it correctly. But all of us as Christians have to have this humility within us if we want to be a disciple, if we want to set ourselves apart for the gospel of God. Paul says his being a servant was according to the faith and an acknowledging of the truth. So again, that goes back to each of us. What truth is it that we're either not in alignment with or that we struggle with or that or that we're setting aside for whatever maybe sin issue we have. It's the same for us today. We become servants by obeying the faith through the truth. In Matthew 16, 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. It seems to be such a simple statement, where Jesus says, If you want to be my disciple, just deny yourself. How could he say that? Because we're supposed to be servants, bond servants, bond slaves. And he says, and take up your cross and follow me. To take up your cross is the idea of enduring um, hardship, following Christ. There's going to be many hardships in following Christ. Jesus was one who tried to lead the way and show us this idea of humility. And you imagine as he went and he washed his disciples' feet, and Peter really struggled with that idea. And Jesus was trying to show them the highest position within the kingdom is being a servant. Peter eventually got it, but Jesus was telling us we have to follow His example. Matthew 18, 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What I find interesting is within our world today, the idea of a servant Is often considered a position of weakness a characteristic of weakness Christ comes back and says no being a servant within the kingdom is what makes you the greatest in the kingdom you think about many people today who are considered great at least by the world's standards and you have to ask yourself do they exhibit humility more specifically do they exhibit humility by being in alignment with the scriptures I think that really narrows it down Or are these the type of people who are always bragging about how great they are and the things that they've accomplished? You don't find that from a a true servant within the kingdom. True servants within the kingdom are, we're watching out for one another, we're helping wherever possible. But in all situations, we're in alignment with what the master tells us to do. That's the idea of a true servant. And the sad part is, if you think about this, so many people who brag about themselves and the things that they do, Man cannot do anything of spiritual value apart from God. So for those people who think they're so great in this world, they may realize when, uh, when their time is over that they're not. And that's a sad time to come to that understanding. We have to figure that out long before that ever happens. We can go back and look at the words of Christ where He begins to talk about this idea of being a servant, being obedient, being one who is humble. But third, there's another trait, and that's one of loyalty. Loyalty. Many of us know servant, people who were servants at one time and who were on fire. They're no longer members of the church, or they no longer come to worship anymore. They no longer are, are faithful. How loyal were they? For those of us who are married, is it, is it okay to just be loyal for you know a month, two months? Or is that loyalty supposed to take us all the way through the entirety of our life? Well, for a servant, if he's, going to be, uh, if he's going to be submissive to his master, he has to be loyal for his entire life. It's, import- it's important that for someone to understand that servitude, the idea of ongoing, non-stop, and permanent loyalty to the master is understood. Otherwise, he doesn't even fit the definition of a servant. The master loves the servant whom he can trust. If you have a servant you can't trust... What kind of what kind of relationship can you really have? Loyalty to the master that shows that the servant loves his master in return. I don't know; it's been a long time since we've talked about it. Maybe you don't even recall reading it, but we have mentioned it here before. But sometimes, when a master had a servant, a bond servant, and you could become a servant in a few different ways, and sometimes that position of being a servant was only for a set number of years. It wasn't for the rest of your life. But sometimes when a slave, a bond slave, or a servant was purchased and they had fulfilled their requirement, they had the option to be set free. But here's what was interesting. When you had a servant who loved his master and you had a master who loved his servant and took care of them, that servant could choose to remain a servant to the master for the rest of his life you may say that seems extremely strange why would you want to do that well you'll find that oftentimes they did I'm not gonna go back and spend time on the entire process but if you go back to Deuteronomy this isn't in your notes if you go back to Deuteronomy 15 and Exodus 21 you'll find that the servant could come and tell his master in essence I know that I can go do my own thing and I know that I can go be on my own but I love you as my master and I want to stay as your servant and the master would take his servant whom he loved and he would put an awl through his ear he would pierce his ear and that was a sign that he now was a permanent servant of the master and the master was saying I love you as my servant the servant was saying I love you as my master and I want to stay in this position why? Well the bondservant saw exactly how good life was with a servant that or with a master that loved him. And you had that mutual relationship. And so the servant was happy to to take take care of and provide with the master. And the master in return did the same thing. They had this understanding, this mutual love. And he was willing to make himself a a servant, a permanent servant. And because of that, the master's love was even greater for the servant. And the servant knew that his master was providing for him, and he was. He was enjoying that relationship that they had. And so many times you would find where servants would determine and decide they wanted to stay a bond servant. But not because they had to, but because they wanted to. And when you begin to think about the life of a Christian, being a servant for a while and then deciding to go do my own thing is not an option. We have to consider within ourselves, do I want to willingly choose to be a bond servant of the Master. I can go do my own thing, but I don't want to. There's a relationship that we have. The Christian has become a slave of Christ to his own choice. And because of this, he needs to have complete loyal, loyalty to his Master. You have to go back and remember again, 1 Corinthians 7.23, we were bought with a price. Our Master paid for us. It's not like he, just, it's not like he went out and paid in something that was easily to obtain. You're talking the blood. He paid for you with blood. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and he'll love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Now, he gives the example here, you cannot serve God and mammon. But it may be something else. But again, the concept's the same. You can't have two masters. It can only be one. And if something is coming in front, of, in front of or in between your relationship with God, your relationship with Christ, you have to ask yourself, who am I going to serve? Do I really want to be a bond servant? Do I want to be a bond slave? Because it's only when we become absolutely loyal to the one who set us free that we can be true servants. Now, it seems insufficient to say simply that, that man should be a servant of Christ. I'll be honest, I do not think that in our language the idea of a servant gives enough of the concept of being a follower of Christ. I don't think that that word servant in the English language fully grasps what the word James used there, that word doulos, that word bond slave. There's a bond that we should not try to escape. There's a bond that we shouldn't want to disappear. We should want to be servants of Christ. That idea of a bond servant, a bond slave. The Christian who's a bond servant should be absolutely obedient to his master. And the Christian who is a bond servant should be absolutely humble, willing to realize it's not his will, but God's will through Christ. And the Christian who is a purchased servant really should be absolutely loyal to the one who set him free by realizing he had to shed his blood to make that possible. There are only two types of servants. There's profitable servants and there's unprofitable servants. Our goal is to be a profitable servant. It's simply to be to be obedient. It's to have humility. It's to be loyal. And You may be here and you may not be a faithful servant. And that could happen in one of two ways. One, you're not being faithful you're a Christian, but you've, you've not been doing right. Or two, you're not a Christian at all. So let's deal with both of those very quickly. If you're not a Christian at all, you can't be a servant of Christ. It's not hard to become a follower of Christ and become a servant. You simply have to acknowledge who He is and why He came and the prophecy that talked about Jesus coming to shed His blood for the church, understanding sin, repenting of that, confessing Christ, being immersed in water, and then living faithful. If you haven't done that yet you're not a servant of Christ you can't be but maybe you have done that and maybe you're not being a faithful servant you've fallen short in whatever standard or or obligation you have to Christ it's very simple you can go back and fix that turn away from it repent of it and again be faithful but in either situation what is our goal in life or at least what should it be well as a Christian for me to be a bond servant, to be a slave to Christ and his will that means that I want to do the will of God And I need to carry that over to His will within the church. So I'm going to be faithful to the teachings of the New Testament. And I'm going to be faithful to uh, filling in and doing whatever it is I can on behalf of the church. Paul said he was set apart for the gospel. And that's what we have to do as Christians. As I draw this to a close, if there's a way we could assist anyone, whether it's to become a Christian today or if you need to be taught how to become a Christian, we'd love to help you there. Or if there's some other way we could help you spiritually, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.